Me and Dre was messing with these girls out in Rialto, and uh, they was always asking us, we want to go in the studio, we want to make a record. And Dre's like, I ain't fucking with y'all, y'all whack. You know, you can't rap, you ain't no rappers. And they cornered me in the studio one day, the girls, and they were like, let's make some music. I'm like, all right, fine. So we did two songs, Another Hope Bites the Dust and Supersonic. Here it comes! comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip-hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. Today's episode is a special one because we get to hear the story of Arabian Prince, an unsung member of the world's most dangerous group, NWA. While we've heard the tale of the group's rise to success, including their 2015 blockbuster film, Straight Outta Compton, it appears as though Arabian Prince was all but erased from the group's story. Nonetheless, Arabian Prince created a dynamic career from DJing to producing, from rapping to visual arts for video games, movies, and TV shows. So I was born Kim, yep, K-I-M, Renard, hate both those names, Kim and Renard, Nizelle, um, June 17th, 1965 in Compton, California. And he was born into a changing world that had reached a tipping point. Right around the Watts riots time. After years of racial tension in California over practices of residential segregation and police brutality, violence began as the black population in Los Angeles began to rise up. Riots which had quieted down during the dust sprang again into full-scale violence this morning. <clears throat> Angry mobs of Negro youth and adults. I remember my pops was telling me he used to have to go out during the riots and get me milk. My mom's at the time, she was a classical pianist and she taught uh, piano, but she also worked in aerospace. My father, on the other hand, has a really crazy background, similar to mine. Like he was writing books. He wrote over a hundred novels, like The Black Exorcist, The Black Gestapo, Black Cop, uh, Iceman. He actually pinned a lot of stuff for Iceberg Slim. And then he was also the co-owner and uh, editor of Players Magazine, which was a black Playboy magazine back in the day. He also was the editor of Cashbox, Urban Network, the LA Watch Times, the Sentinel, the Wave. He had a talk radio show on K.A.'s radio, you know, so he did everything. And while he was growing up in Compton, his mother kept him pretty sheltered from the things going on in the neighborhood. This was pre-crack epidemic, but that didn't mean there wasn't crime and violence in his section of Los Angeles. Some of this was perpetuated by family members. My uncles and cousins were people doing all the dirt in the streets. They called them the James boys and the Collins boys. So it was kind of like, nah, you can't be around them. And even they were like, no, you stay in the house because we don't want you out here with us. And they caught me out like somewhere I wasn't supposed to be once. And I remember them taking me and putting my face in the dirt. They like put my face in the dirt and in the mud. Was like, you see this? That's what's going to happen to you if you out here. So... I was more scared of my uncles and cousins than anybody else in the streets, so I listened. Another way of keeping him out of trouble, his mother and his grandmother thought it would be a good idea to put him in Catholic school. What they didn't know about Catholic school in Compton was it was probably worse than public school because in public school, the teachers and the principals and the people who worked at the public schools, they were hip to what was going on. Catholic school, the priests and the nuns didn't know anything. You know, they were like very naive. So we got away with all kind of stuff. Like I was a altar boy and we used to mess with the wine and drink the wine and <laughs> you know do all kind of other stuff that we shouldn't do. 
because they had no clue. Catholic school shenanigans aside, he was able to avoid real trouble in the streets with help from his family. His uncles in particular played a huge role. They also influenced his trajectory in an unexpected way. I was like, you know, trying to be like my uncles back then growing up. You know, um, they all got sent away to the military when I was young because they was doing criminal activities. And when they would come back off the ships from overseas, my cousin Kenneth came home with a suitcase and he opened up this big black kind of hard suitcase and it was a ARP 2600 synthesizer in it. The result is that a performer can do interesting things with a piece of music. With a few simple adjustments, we can approach imitating the sounds of conventional instruments. That's when I got the aha moment to really, really want to be um, in the entertainment industry and wanting to get into, you know, technology and electronics. This synthesizer drove him into technology and electronics because it wasn't like the keyboard you can pick up from Guitar Center today. The old synthesizers had all these wires that you had to plug into the LFO and the VCA. You couldn't even get a sound out of it unless you plugged the right wires in. So I'm this little kid playing with this at like six, seven years old. So that really changed my life, you know, being able to do that. And his uncles also helped shape his musical influences. My uncle Hoggy, the one I used to hang out with, he got me into like the Parliament Funkadelic. He got me into the the uh, Last Poets. He got me into, believe it or not, Kiss. So I was like this little kid listening to freaking Parliament Funkadelic and Kiss. My brain was like blown. It wasn't necessarily normal for a kid his age to be listening to this music. And his mother definitely took notice. <laughs> but not in the way he hoped. My mom took me to uh, the psychiatrist because I used to sit in my room and listen to Maggot Brain and Mommy um, What's a Funkadelic in the dark. And she thought it was devil worship with music and then had her church come over and pray over me. It was like an exorcism. I'm like, it's goddamn music. It's Funkadelic. And I started saying like, you know, criminal shit back while Psychosis, Enema Squad, and all the other long Parliament Funkadelic words. They thought I was talking in tongues. <laughs> like, Maybe the church people couldn't see it yet, but these diverse, eclectic musical influences would help him develop a music career. A music career that would start earlier than expected. Because my father had that radio show at K's, I would go with him on Sundays. That's when he had his radio show. So I got to sit in the control room opposite him where the DJs were during the week playing the music. So I would be in there playing with the carts and they had carts and they had vinyl. And I, I learned how to make mixtapes. So I would like sneak a couple of cassettes, just put a bunch of songs that would go to school and sell them for like five bucks. Then I became the DJ for school dances. And before I had equipment, I would just bring my little mixtapes and just play the songs. And then I saved up enough money and got one turntable. And my other homeboy, uh, Termite, got another turntable. And then we saved up and bought a little Radio Shack mixer, Tandy. And uh, we start DJing elementary school dances. These were middle school kids DJing an elementary school dance circuit. And they weren't messing around. We bought wood and tried to make our own speakers. Went to Radio Shack and got like woofers and some tweeters and crossovers. There's no internet. So we figuring this out. We opened up his father's speaker and looked at what was inside of it. And then we went and did it. But when we put the speed together, after we did all the cutting and everything, it didn't sound good. And it was because we didn't know about cutting a hole in it and porting the speaker and putting the foam inside to kind of make it. So once we figured it out, we had a whole setup. And at the same time, he was learning how to make his own music his own way. My mom's tried to make me learn piano. 
I hated it. Since his mom was classically trained, her approach to music was more technical. Playing the notes you're supposed to play the way that they're written. I grew up listening to P-Funk. You know, like Funkadelic, they were playing like sharps and flats and weird sounds. And I was trying to do that. So when my mother heard my song, she was like, well, why did you play that? When you should have played, I said, well, does it sound good? She goes, yeah, it sounds good. This is all happening at a time when a lot of kids throughout the nation are just getting into making music themselves. And kids like him had their own influences on the West Coast. That's when you had Uncle Jam's army. My telephone never stops ringing. And in my shower, my freaks never stop singing. Um, the early Wrecking Crew, before Dr. Dre. It was on the they would have these concerts and parties and when I got old enough my buddy he was in my class but he was 16 because he was like a little bit older and he had a car so we would go to some of these dances you know and um, we would lie and tell my moms that I was going to the Catholic school dance but we was going to like the convention center like the big people dances and getting in there and um, that's when I saw like oh, I want to do this. Like, I want to be up here with these cats doing it on the big stage. This journey is just getting started as everything from his upbringing, his interest in technology, musical aspirations, and courage to try anything would all come in handy. The road from elementary school dance fame to gold and platinum records and, get this, Power Rangers would utilize all these traits. When we come back, Arabian Prince goes on the road with his talent and makes his first record. Then later, the creation of N.W.A. and why Arabian Prince left the group. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Sun Dobe from Funk Dobies. Thanks for tuning in to Fresh Era. Did you know that these guys over at Stupidfly are doing this strictly out of the love for 90s hip-hop culture? If you like what you hear, please do me a favor. Go to stupid-fly.com and pick up some merch to show your support. Then follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Stupidfly Media. Thank you for supporting our community of Golden Era Gladiators. Now head over to stupid-fly.com. <laughs> The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back. Arabian Prince had already begun his journey as a middle school kid DJing elementary school dances. He naturally gravitated toward electronics and figuring out how things work. 
These passions would intersect as he got older and started to venture into the music scene in Los Angeles. This is where he crossed paths with Uncle Jam's army. They would show up with these Serwin Vega speakers. And I'm not exaggerating, um, 100 speakers. And as you walked up to the venue, all you heard outside was like, boom, boom. You know, boom. And it was like this beat. And you were like, holy crap. It felt like somewhere he belonged. And this was also an opportunity for him to be a DJ on a bigger stage. I knew one of the cats in Uncle Jam's army who did put the speakers together and stuff. So I was hanging out with him and I would help. And then before the show would start, they'd be up there messing around. And then I start showing them what I could do. And they was like, God damn, this little, little fucker's pretty good. And they would let me DJ sometime. I wasn't getting paid, but they would just kind of let me DJ. And this access to Uncle Jam's army, plus the experience he would get DJing on stage, would help him in his next business venture. I went to uh, Quinceañera. This girl I went to school with, she had her little party. And they had music and you know, all this stuff. And I'm looking at this place. Hmm, how can I do something, right? So I met the owner, and I'm like, what do you do at this place when you don't rent it out? And he said, oh, it just sits here until somebody rents it for an event. I'm like, okay. And didn't say that. So I went over there during the week after school again, and he owned the whole block. And on that block was a pet store. Arabian Prince goes to him and asks him for a job. And eventually talked him into letting me DJ at that spot on the weekend. I was like, I think I can, like, do a teen club. I DJ, you know, at the schools. I got a following. So he bought speakers, gave me some money to go buy some records, more vinyl. He bought equipment. And we started this club called The Cave in like late 82. And it was like the cool little teen spot until the gang started getting crazy over there. And it, it lasted for about a year and a half. But um, that's what really started my music career because while I was doing that, I started DJing with Uncle Jam's Army, started DJing with the Wrecking Crew, hanging out with Dre and they crew. And as many people know, Dr. Dre of N.W.A. started out in the world-class Wrecking Crew along with fellow founding member of N.W.A., DJ Yella. And world-class Wrecking Crew had a following and was about to do something that Arabian Prince had only dreamed of. And one day hanging out with Dre, he told me, he's like, hey, we about to go make a record. And I'm like, I'm gonna make a record? Like, wow. And then... I bumped into Egypt. Egyptian lover of Uncle Jam's army. Egypt had just got an 808 drum machine. Uncle Jam's army just got an 808. And I'm over in his garage hanging out with him. He's like, yeah, we about to make a record. I'm like, damn, everybody making records. I'm not even down with a crew. Like, I'm friends with everybody, but not down with anybody like that. I went home and told my moms, I'm like, I want to make a record. And she goes... What are you talking about? Like The idea of him making a record was far-fetched. It wasn't something that people just did back then. But Arabian Prince wasn't about to give up. So I went back, and I told uh, Sam, the dude who owned the pet store, he said, oh, I think that's a great idea. You should make a record. So I had like 500 bucks. He gave me another $500. I went to a recording studio, never been in the studio a day in my life. I just knew how to play what little bit of music my moms had taught me on the piano. Walked into the studio in Torrance and literally came out with my first single, Strange Life. The Arabian Prince is as strange as can be. Living his life in pyramid safe. Swinging in the tomb is how he gets his fix. He gets a natural purple heart on the backwards mix. 
Now, what I went in trying to make is not what I came out with. <laughs> I went in trying to make like craft work music because that's what was hot at the time. But I came out with like a mix of Parliament, Prince, and Devo. So step number one was complete. But now what? I got a record. I got a, a tape. I don't know what to do with it. So I asked Egypt and Dre and everybody. I said, oh, we went to this place called McCola Records. <laughs> no one was stupid enough to do it. But McCola Records was, they distributed the latest release from Bobby, Jimmy, and the Critters. Entrepreneurs of comedic rap. I get there, and I ask the lady up front that I want to talk about getting my record out. She says, okay, let me see if somebody can talk to you. So it just so happened that Don McMillan, who's the owner of McCola, was there. He was talking to Russ Parr, who was the morning DJ at K-Day, who was also Bobby Jimmy, because he had this character that he did called Bobby Jimmy on a morning show. He had just put out his first record called We Like Ugly Women. They were there and they, they came out and was like, oh, you make records? I said, well, I got a song. I said, let's check it out. They listened to my song. He's like, it's pretty good. Um, are you a producer? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a music producer. I ain't produced crap ever. I'm like, yeah, I'm a producer. He said, um, I got a deal for you. And Russ Parr said, I got a label I just started. I'm Russ Parr in the morning. I said, I know who you are. Yeah. And he goes, how about I put your song on my label and then you can help produce my album because I want to do an album and I don't have anybody to produce my album. I'm like, hell yeah. So I got my record out and a job producing all in one day. So I ended up producing all of the Bobby Jimmy Critter stuff and getting my records out. Couldn't have been no more than... 16, maybe. And when this song came out, it made waves. Oh, hell yeah. When my song came out on the radio, hell yeah. It was like, I was fire. My moms didn't really know what to think about it because you got to remember, rap wasn't around but a year or two, maybe. Like, especially popular rap. And she's like, I don't care about this rap stuff. You're going to get a job. You're going to college. You're going to blah, blah, blah. And my career just kept blowing up. Started touring with Bobby, Jimmy, and the Critters. And the cool thing about touring with them was... I got paid twice because I would do Bobby, Jimmy, and the Critters, but they would always book Arabian Prince, too. We would go to, like, Modesto, Merced, Stockton, Vallejo, you know, all Hercules, all the little cities up the coast, and we were large up there, do tons of shows. It was hella fun, and I became, like, the young kid because I was a tech dude, so everybody would come to me. How do I set up my sequencers? How do I set up a drum machine? And one of the people he got close to was Dr. Dre. We just started going to the beach, hanging out, chasing women and stuff, and became, like, really, really close. And we started collaborating even more because his style, what he was doing, was a little bit more closer to what I was doing, right? And at the same time, while their styles were starting to change, they also started to realize they weren't making the big bucks. The problem was we were too young to know about publishing and writers and all of these things at the time. But that's what started that move from doing the electro-funk stuff and touring that but into NWA. Because once he met Easy, and Easy was like, he wanted to stop doing what he was doing, which was he was a neighborhood pharmaceutical technician at the time. And Dre was done, like, doing stuff for a little money, and so was I. We kind of started figuring out how to transition into something else. They didn't necessarily know where they were going with this, but they were going to lean on each other and eventually get help from some other guys in the neighborhood. We were large in the dance space, the electro space. And when we moved further and started doing NWA, I think that was the early success of NWA 
because it was almost a pseudo supergroup. You had me, uh, Yellow was in the wrecking crew with Dre. That was his boy. Cube lived a half block, maybe a block away from Dre's aunt where Dre lived, right? And Cube was really close to um, Sir Jinx. Then you had MC Ren, who was Easy's boy, who lived down the street from Easy. So that's how that whole thing kind of came together. It's just, it was just a bunch of dudes who just happened to be around. And Ice Cube wasn't even thought of at the beginning because he was getting sent away to college to go be an architect or something like that. And then we had already started working on music and he had come back. And he was like, damn, I'm in. Unbeknownst to everybody around him while he was working on niggas with attitudes, Arabian Prince was keeping a secret that was imposed by his mother. Uh, she was like, yeah, you're going to college. But I was able to kind of do both, you know. But other cats didn't even know I was in school. I don't think I even mentioned it because it was kind of like, it was almost embarrassing. You're a rapper, like, yeah, I'm going to college, man. So while he was secretly enrolled in college at USC, the other half of his time was spent in the studio creating what would become NWA. After we had put everybody in the crew together, you know, Dre, Q, Yellow, Ren, Easy, we were all sitting around trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we just made Boys in the Hood. Cause the boys in the hood are always hard. You come talking that trash, we'll pull your car. Dunk the funk. Kicking at the mouth, and now you know what I'm cold. Your soul, I'll leave the pole now, cause I'm on a roll. Super deaf on the whack, and I'm letting you know this is as funky as a funk made years ago. Deadly. You know, it was like this EP for easy, and then we did the NWA EP. Now, before we get into the NWA EP, let's talk about a shining moment in Arabian Prince's career. He was about to introduce the world to J.J. Fad. Me and Dre was messing with these girls out in Rialto, and uh, they was always asking us, we want to go in the studio, we want to make a record. And Dre is like, I ain't fucking with y'all, y'all whack. You know, all, you can't rap, you ain't no rappers. And they courted me in the studio one day, the girls, and they were like, let's make some music. Like, all right, fine. So we did two songs, Another Whole Bites to Dust. Check it out, home girls, guess what I heard. I got these fake MCs who try to spread the word. Oh yeah, I know that line. I heard it too. And here's a little something from us to you. And Supersonic. Supersonic motivating rhymes are creating. And everybody knows that JJ Fad is devastating. We know you like us, girl, so you better get sterile. Cause we are the home chicks that are rocking your world. Supersonic. I had just left uh, Rapster Records with Russ Parr. We were just starting Ruthless. It hadn't even really started yet. Ruthless Records, of course, was the Easy e and Jerry Heller-owned record label that would put out N.W.A., but they were just getting started. So I'm like, the Dream Team is the hottest thing out right now, and I was down with them. So he puts out Supersonic on Dream Team Records. And Supersonic blew up. It blew up in the clubs, on MTV, and it was even nominated for a Grammy. And just because I think it stamps the time pretty well, check out this commercial. The supersonic phone call you have to make. We're JJ Fat and we're here to talk. Call us now. Yo, we can't wait. And then, unfortunately, same thing again. Things get hot. People try not to pay you. And I took it back and put it on Ruthless when we just started our label. And it became, it was the first gold record on Ruthless Records. This was the first gold record on Ruthless Records, but it wouldn't be the last. And in the meantime, Arabian Prince and N.W.A. were cooking up classics. But this wouldn't be enough to escape controversy, conflict, and bad contracts. Coming up, Arabian Prince and N.W.A. create Straight Outta Compton. Then, Arabian Prince decides to leave the group just as they're getting hot. Find out why when we come back.
<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the show. Arabian Prince had gone from elementary school dances to touring with Uncle Jam's army and putting out his own records, then eventually releasing an EP with N.W.A. to producing a gold record, Supersonic, with J.J. Fad. Little did he know, one of his greatest contributions to hip-hop was soon to come. N.W.A. was working on their album, Straight Outta Compton. The EP started to blow up, and we started to get shows and started to do a lot of stuff, and... That's when I brought, like I said, the supersonic thing in over the roofless. And that supersonic helped to fund Straight Outta Compton and all the other stuff that we did because it was just a huge record. And that gave them the fuel to work on Straight Outta Compton. We did probably 99% of the music at uh, my buddy Audio Achievements in Torrance. That was weird enough because all us black folks going to Torrance, and I remember Easy would get a parking ticket every day. Parked his car, and that's it. He probably had like 400 tickets. And I remember this was before we really had money, too. So I remember me and Dre, we would go to like the grocery store and get like a loaf of bread, some peanut butter and jelly, and some popcorn, and you know, whatever. And it was during these sessions that they would crank out classics like Straight Out of Compton. Straight Out of Compton, crazy motherfucker named Ice Cube. From the gang called Niggas with Attitudes. When I'm called off, I got a saw dog. Squeeze the trigger, and bodies are hauled off. Express yourself. <laughs> With my full capabilities And now I'm living in correctional facilities Cause some don't agree with how I do this I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist And fuck the police Fuck the police coming straight from the underground A young nigga got it bad cause I'm brown And not the other color so police think They have the authority to kill a minority I mean I worked on, I mean production on all of them It was all hands on deck You know what I'm saying? We all were programming and writing and doing that and giving our all to what we did. They were just being creative. They didn't know that what they were doing was going to change the face of hip-hop. We wouldn't. You know, when you're creating something, you're just having fun in the studio, creating and just getting it done. It wasn't like power to the people. It was, even though we said, fuck the police, it wasn't like, yeah, man, we need to make this song and stand up 
to the, nah, he's fuck it. That sounds good. Fuck the police. I like it. In hindsight, it was. We just didn't know it. We was too young and just, you know, chilling and having a good time. The album Straight Outta Compton was released in 1988 and the world went crazy. Suddenly, N.W.A. was everywhere, in good ways and in bad. The music, which last year the FBI accused of encouraging violence against the police. Let's welcome and talk to N.W.A. Give it up. From Minnesota is threatening legal action against the nation's largest chain of music stores. At issue, the sale of a rap music album to minors. Niggers with Attitude, known as N.W.A. N.W.A. struck a chord with people who didn't feel like they had a voice coming from neighborhoods riddled with crime and violence while simultaneously feeling the effects of oppression from the police department. And the presence of the police for N.W.A. was just a fact of life. Yeah, so we were on our way to do a show at... Mount Sac College, Mount St. San Antonio College to do a concert. We were in, I can't remember whose car, I was in, no, I was actually in the car with Easy, and everybody else is following. The police pull him over. He got warrants for all the tickets. They take him to jail. We're like, we got a show. Don't worry, I'll be there. They take him to jail, and um, he's got to pay bail. Easy because he used to be the neighborhood pharmaceutical technician, walked around with large amounts of cash at all times on him. And he would layer the money around his leg. And I guess he came out and uh, was able to pay his bail. They couldn't figure out where he got the money from, but he was able to pay his bail and met us back up at the show. And as Straight Outta Compton was still blowing up, he got the chance to share his success with his parents. His father was extremely proud. He's like, yep, just like me, just trying to do everything and be successful at all of it. So he was totally behind it. And my mom's, you know, she came around. She came around and showed up at one of their shows. And I remember everybody said, man, your mom's here? Like, yeah. They all knew my mom. So I was like, what are we going to do? Let's do the show. So after the show, I remember asking my mom, what did you think? And she was like, well, the people liked it. Can you, like, guys tone down the, the words a little bit? I'm like, nope. They were determined to be themselves on wax and on the stage. And as a group of kids from the West Coast, they were in for an eye-opening experience as they got to other parts of the country, like New York City. We did the, uh, I think it was the Palladium. They had these huge bodyguards on stage or security on stage. And we was like, you don't have to be on stage? He's like, yeah, we do. I'm like, why? In case they don't like you. Because I guess in New York, if they don't like you, it's problems, right? And I remember when we got there, I remember us walking through like Queens and Brooklyn wearing like Raider stuff. And people was looking at us like, who these fools are crazy? Like, they gotta be crazy to be out here in New York walking around like this. But we would that's how we dressed. We didn't think it was nothing of it. We got so much respect for that, though. And as they were touring the country off the strength of Straight Outta Compton, Arabian Prince started to question certain things. I would always tell Dre and them, like, man, what's up on our royalties? Like, we putting records out and we getting little money again. This is the same shit that was going on before. But I think it was different because we started getting hot. You know, like, tours, bigger tours. And maybe it was a fame, but nobody wasn't listening to me. And remember, Arabian Prince had already been a solo artist, so he knew how things were supposed to go. And I always was, had a problem because we would go out and do shows, and when we would come back, we would never get the first half of the money from Jerry Heller. And I think, two, it affected me a little more. One, because I had brought Supersonic over. Two, I had my own apartment, had my own car. I got bills. 
you know, like everybody else was still living at home. So it was a little more flexible for them. So I'm like, I got to get paid. Like, screw this. So I kept complaining about it, kept complaining about it. So I got me an attorney. He was like, yeah, you're supposed to get this. You're supposed to get that. Blah, 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 let's go in. So we had a meeting with Jerry Heller. And I'm like, I'm out. And I'm taking Supersonic with me. Ah, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't let you take that. What do you want? And we did a deal. I got my royalties. And then I bounced. Because I'm like, I can't be here because I can't trust him. And right when I left, I knew he knew that he had to get them under contract. Because we had no contracts. So when I did mine, he wanted to do the contract his way. And he came to everybody with 75 grand checks. It was like, sign this contract, I'm going to give you a check. And famously, just about everybody signed, except for Ice Cube. Right when I got my money, I went and bought a, a Porsche, <laughs> like a red Porsche, and I drove to a concert. And uh, everybody was like, where'd you get that from? I'm like, you need to go talk to Jerry. That's what, what, you know, what sparked Cube leaving next. Like, he left not too far after that. So for a lot of rappers and producers, this would have been the end of the line. N.W.A. had seemingly caught lightning in a bottle. And even before that, Arabian Prince struck gold with J.J. Fad's song Supersonic. Leaving Ruthless Records at the height of N.W.A.'s success might have seemed like career suicide to some people, but... Nah, it's funny thing. It was a... We were like, easy flow. I left EMI Records was like, hey, what you doing over there? Right? Because I had Supersonic. I was like doing heat. I had done... I produced other groups too. They were like, we got this new label called Orpheus. And they made me an offer. It was like more money than I ever seen. And I was like, I flew to New York, took some photos. Now they thing I know I'm making, you know, my record. And in 1989, Arabian Prince released his album, Brother A-Rab. And then I followed it up with another record that I did independently on my own, which I made more money than anything ever done because I did it independently. And as we've seen, Arabian Prince isn't one to let an opportunity slip. Even though he was a rapper and producer, that didn't stop him from exploring a second career. I was already messing with computers because to be able to sequence records you needed computers and I learned all that stuff and then I was like okay I taught myself how to code so I could do certain kind of coding when video games started getting big in the mid to late 80s I saw this switch from people partying to wanting to go to the arcade or when we got those little handheld ColecoVisions, visions start playing a little baseball and football head to head you know and it was like I want to get into this because this is like the new crack. Like people stopping to drink and smoke and party to do this. There's some in this gaming stuff. So I got into animation and gaming in the late 80s and made a whole separate career. And this separate career was a lot different than music. They were paying me big checks up front to do stuff. Like I don't have to wait for royalties or fight somebody with my money. Okay, I'm all over here. Started working on Barbie. I worked on all the early... Power Ranger stuff, Silver Surfer. We did a whole Silver Surfer cartoon. Adam's Family, Casper. Worked on the movie Contact. Um, worked on uh, Titanic. Arabian Prince had gone from NWA to video games to Hollywood. His story is fascinating because he's been so many places and contributed so much to hip-hop. And compared to his counterparts in NWA, he didn't receive nearly enough credit. But he's kind of okay with that. When we would go do shows, I would get to the city, find out if there was a, any type of computer store convention in town. Like, Microsoft was just blowing up. And I'm there for one of these announcements. And the whole place got quiet. Like, convention center. So I'm sitting and I'm watching this thing. 
and Bill Gates is on stage. There's this guy standing next to me at the time. And don't nobody know who he is, but I was such a nerd for tech. I knew who all the tech players were. And the guy standing next to him was a huge player at Microsoft. He would eventually go on to be the CEO, Steve Ballmer. When they finish, he just walks around. Nobody knew who he was. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. Whether he's given the credit he deserves or not, Arabian Prince made his mark in hip-hop. His production and songwriting inspired many people, not just in the United States, but all around the world. The N.W.A. EP, Straight Outta Compton, and Supersonic have all been mentioned as influences for some of today's biggest stars and some of history's biggest hits. These days, Arabian Prince is still on his grind, making music and producing TV and film. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and buttoned up by the amazing DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett definitely knows the vibe. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Music by The Math Club. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And listen, if you're craving more golden era hip-hop goodness, check out our game show. It's called Headspin. It's a good time and will definitely test your golden era hip-hop knowledge. Headspin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Fresh Era Podcast and at Stupid Fly Media. We'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.